pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today is show number 388, or course number 0388, if you are taking this course for continuing education credit, and we are going to be continuing our series, the 11 pre-linguistic skills that all toddlers master before words emerge. And remember, just a teeny bit of background, pre-linguistic, what does that mean if you're a parent? It means before pre and linguistic words. So before a kid starts to talk, what are these 11 areas, 11 milestones, 11 skills that need to be pretty strong, that need to be coming along pretty nicely? And so uh, in show 385, we started with a general review, review of those skills. So if you have just stumbled upon this show today and you're thinking, I'm not quite sure what this lady's talking about, go back and listen to show number 385. I do want to give you a brief synopsis, though, of all 11 skills because I think it's so important that we keep these skills in mind, especially when we're talking about late talkers. And again, I'm using late talkers in such a general term. Now, the, the most narrow definition of late talker means that there's just an expressive language delay that kids understand words, they're following directions, they are socially connected to other people, their play skills are appropriate, they're just like talkers, they're just not saying as many words or not learning words as quickly or sometimes completely silent even at two and two and a half, but again there's nothing other, nothing else going wrong, there are no other developmental red flags. The problem is that many, many parents think their children are in that category, but when we start to dig a little deeper and really take a more comprehensive look at those children, there are other missing skills. And that's what this whole series is about. It's helping parents and therapists learn to look for these uh, these underlying skills, all the reasons why a child isn't talking yet. And we wanna take a look at all 11 areas of these. And again, if it's a strength, fantastic. We'll use it to work on areas that are weaker, that aren't as stable, aren't as strong. And so that's why I think it's important that we run through this list of 11 skills every single show to kind of get us going and remind us exactly how many things a child has to be able to do before we can realistically expect him be able to talk and more importantly learn how to communicate so the first one there is response to events in the environment and remember that was a couple of shows ago in show number 386 and we talked about children learn how to respond to toys and objects in their environment and the children that have the most difficulty with this are kids who already have an established medical diagnosis meaning that the doctor has given you some kind of reason that they are not developing as they should and it's usually a neurological issue uh, that, that's happened or a neurological difference or something that happened in birth or children who have sensory differences meaning they have uh, or sensory impairments meaning they have difficulty with vision or difficulty with hearing and so those kinds of kids have a lot of difficulty attaining that first uh, pre-linguistic skill of reacting to events in the environment the second skill is so important and it's in show 387 and we talked about it last week it's response to people remember that communicating always involves two people and so we have to have children again who are engaged and who are interactive so when a kid tunes out or ignores you you or seems to avoid you when you're talking to him or it's really really difficult to get eye contact and sustained attention those kids have 
a, a, a real underlying issue with a social connection. And so we have to get that social connection going first. And why is that? Because until a kid is consistently listening to you and paying attention to you and wanting to be with you, he can't learn anything. And that certainly includes language. He's not going to be able to link meaning with words, meaning he hears you say it enough times when he's looking directly at what you're talking about that he understands, oh, every time mama says, car there's this thing right here and that must be a car you know and again that's a very simplistic explanation of how uh, that hardwiring occurs in our brains for uh, language mapping but it's exactly what happens there and without that consistent ability to want to be with you and to want to listen to you and to want to learn with you and to want to stay with you you know, that's just the foundation that's missing. So again, that's skill number two. Skill number three is what we're talking about today. And this begins turn taking. Now, when I first did this, published this information back in 2016, and again, it was a podcast series at the beginning because I was just putting all of this information together. And then in 2017, I wrote my therapy manual, Let's Talk About Talking. And again, the subtitle, Ways to Strengthen the 11 Skills All Toddlers Master Before Words Emerge. When I had this, uh, when I first looked at this information and, and organized it, I had this as skill number 11, and I said um, turn-taking in conversation, that children become turn-takers in conversation. But then the more I researched it and the more I really thought about it and the more I, you know, practical application as I worked with children and their families, you know, and, and as I say all the time, <laughs> skills just don't emerge as a verbal skill in early speech-language development. There are underlying things, prerequisites, that have to come first. And so in order for a kid to verbally take turns, he has to non-verbally take turns. So I revamped this whole thing in 2017, and that begins turn-taking all the way up to its most basic level where when we look at this, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is what the whole show is about. Let me just move on. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about how uh, turn-taking develops in typically developing babies so we can see what we're looking at. But this is how important it is. It's right here at the beginning. And so many therapists and so many parents kind of miss this. And so that's why we're going to talk about turn-taking so early in this continuum. The fourth pre-linguistic skill is develops a longer attention span. And if you've heard me talk about attention before, you know that I always say, Attention is the gatekeeper for everything. You can't teach a kid how to talk, how to read, how to ride a bike, how to do algebra. You can't teach them anything until they really learn how to pay attention. As, as a toddler, I call that stay and play. And so until a kid can stay and play with you and really increases the amount of time that he can tolerate someone else playing with him and sharing an experience, we're not going to get very far with language development. And so that's another pre, uh, prerequisite skill that a lot of times we don't pay enough attention to, especially as speech-language pathologists. We don't really do more to get that going other than tell a kid, come back here, sit down, stay with me, come on. And again, we may not do it like that. It may not be quite that punitive. But at the same time, we're not really managing it any other way. And that's what this whole series is about, and especially today with turn-taking, to give you some ideas and some different strategies to address it. What? 
way before. You probably began to address it before. All right, skill number five is so important. It's joint attention, and it's a child's ability to shift and share joint attention. That means that you share experiences. That means if he is playing with something, he includes you in that. You're not just wah, 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 talking in the background. You're actually part of that. He's looking at you. He's looking back at what he's uh, paying attention to or playing with or whatever you guys are looking at together. And it's such an important skill, too. And we talked about this along with uh, learning what words mean. Until a kid can share those experiences with you, he's not likely to link meaning to words. And he's certainly not likely to learn how to talk because, again, he doesn't have that foundational piece there. Skill number six is plays with a variety of toys appropriately. And this is an extension of skill number one, where children were really reacting to toys and objects in their environment. And this is where they learn how to use those toys like they are intended. Now, I did a show several weeks ago called Seven Steps to Pretend Play, where we're looking at how to help children, children learn how to pretend and learn how to be creative and really kind of take that next step. But guys, you can't do that with a kid until he learns what objects are intended for. And again, this is such an important piece of helping a child make sense out of his world and make the connections that everyone else has made <laughs> so that we're all on the same page and that he does begin to link meaning uh, with words so that when he is playing with the ball, he can roll it, he can throw it, he can kick it. Those are the things that he's supposed to be doing with ball. And again, that helps him have that understanding of the word ball. And he knows what the, that object's function is. And he's, he is using it as it's intended. And he does understand then. He begins to understand when you say get the ball. He's linked meaning with that. So, so many of these skills are, well, actually all of them are very, very connected and intricately woven together to, again, produce a child that understands how to communicate. Okay, now we're up to skill number seven, and we've been talking about this a lot. This is the receptive language piece. So this is when kids have linked meaning to words. They understand what early words mean, and when they start to understand what early words mean, do you know what happens next? They begin to follow directions. So that is really the only way that you can, without a doubt, know that a kid knows what you are talking about. And so many times parents really will say, I mean, it's so universal. And I say this in conferences when I teach this live, I'll say to the therapist, you know, we're talking about receptive language development. I'll say, what does every parent say when you say, how does your child understand words? How does your child understand conversation or what you ask him to do? Parents will say, say it with me, therapist. He understands everything and then you start to investigate that and you're really doing your assessment and you start realizing he doesn't he doesn't understand everything actually it's kind of the opposite he doesn't understand very much at all and then you'll say to a parent well how well does he follow directions and they say oh, he never follows directions but they really have attributed that to a personality difference or just behavior you know toddlers are stubborn they don't do anything and some of that is true but in order to really give a child credit for understanding things, we have to take a realistic look. And unless he's following directions, there is a big, big, big probability that he does not understand what words mean. And so before a kid can use words to talk and use words to communicate, he has to understand them. So receptive language is a pretty important part of that. It's the input part of language before we get the output uh, with a child using words to talk. All right, skill number eight was vocalizes purposefully. And this is kind of a no-brainer. Until a kid can make noise, he can't talk. And so a lot of parents, I think, this is the starting point. They just 
think that because their child isn't talking yet that there's obvious they'll, they'll think this is obviously a motor problem or a mechanical problem and he's just not moving his mouth right and if he moves his mouth right then the words are going to come out <sighs> barely the case <laughs> and so there and I could talk about that all day but the skill here is that a kid moves from doing sounds or using using his voice automatically or reflexively meaning that he cries or he sneezes or he coughs to purposefully intentionally does he whine to get your attention does he call out for you and again it is so logical that a child has to be noisy before he can begin to be able to put those sounds together uh, to make words so that's a really important skill too like all of these are skill number nine is imitation and if you follow my work for any length of time you know how important imitation is and it really is so predictive of a child's language abilities at three and so we really have to look not only at how a child imitates words but we back it all the way up to that nonverbal level where how does he imitate actions and gestures and body movements and then sounds and then finally words and so we walk through that whole continuum of imitation development the tenth skill is use his early gestures so the gestures that he began to imitate like waving bye-bye or like pointing does he use those uh, functionally does he nod his head for yes and shake his head for no does he do other again use other kinds of nonverbal ways of communicating to let you know what he wants and sometimes uh, that kids have a hard time getting that going it might be a motor planning issue it might be a cognitive issue a lot of times it's a social issue and so again we have to kind of tease through those things and think why are those gestures not emerging and really really uh, target the real problem there and so that's skill number 10 and then finally skill number 11 is initiates interaction with others so not only does he respond like we talked about way back in skill number two but how does he take the lead in conversation how does he take the lead in letting you know what he wants so that he can get his needs met so that's skill number 11 so today we are on skill number three which is begins turn taking and again therapists might refer to the skill as reciprocity or the back and forth flow that we see with children and we do think about it in conversation. I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk, but it starts so much earlier than that. It starts really back at this nonverbal level, which is what we are going to be spending the rest of this hour on helping you learn how to do. And it's so important that we think about these skills too, these 11 skills as a continuum and with typically developing babies, these skills do come in pretty early. With turn-taking, I mean, kids learn with that six to eight weeks when they are babies, when they start to do their first little social smiles. Parents smile, and then the child smiles back. And then that, over the next few weeks, turns into, it expands even more, where uh, a child, a baby, or a parent begins to coo, you know, ooh, Ah, you know, use some of those nice little yummy baby sounds, those vowel sounds, and uh, a child begins to respond back to that. So he takes his turn, and again, it's such a nice little dance, you know, not, you know, not just a symbolic little dance there where you take a turn, I take a turn, you take a turn, I take a turn. And again, this is really evolving during a child's first year. And so when we have a child who's 18 months or two or two and a half and who isn't doing those things, we know that this has been disrupted from the beginning very likely because if he's not doing it then it's you know unless there's been regression unless there's been a loss of skills you know we really really look at that and so again turn taking develops really really early in typical development so when we see that it's missing 
as a child gets older, it is a big deal, and we have to go back and fill in the gaps. And historically, speech-language pathologists aren't really great with that until we get to the talking piece, until we get to, again, turn-taking and conversation. But I like the idea of knowing what to do about that earlier, that I need to address this earlier, so that I help make a kid an expert turn-taker even before he says a single word. And that's what our goal is here. And so let me give you some questions that will help you decide if a toddler has difficulty taking turns. And so the first one would be sort of what we've already talked about. Does a child understand that communication is a two-way street? So does he understand that he should uh, respond to you? Does he understand that he should take the lead sometimes? Does he get that? Now, kids who are already doing that, you know, you have a pretty good idea. Gosh, they can already take turns. I've got some pretty good evidence of that here. So when a child plays a game with you, does she try to keep it going? So a game like patty cake, when you've played that with her, do you see her not only participating with clapping, but when you try to stop, does she try to keep that going? Does she clap so that you are just mesmerized with her and you, are, you praise her and you want to keep going? Does she reach out and take your hands to try to get you to clap? Does she bounce along? Does she do something? Does she you know whine or fuss a little bit to or or does she start going ah, ah like she's got the cadence and the rhythm and the prosody of patty cake does she start doing that to let you know hey i'm gonna keep this going don't stop yet i'm not ready to stop <laughs> i'm not finished and so think about that does a child do that if you're not seeing evidence of that turn taking is the core skill that's missing there does a child try to respond to your questions even without words so let's say that you say to your little boy, what do you want for lunch today? A kid who is not a turn taker, it's like you didn't even say the words, you know, zoop, no response there. But a kid who is a good turn taker, even if they can't say, well, mom, I want chicken nuggets and a bowl of yogurt or, you know, make me a BLT. If they're not saying that, even before words, they should be doing something to indicate to you that they are taking their turn. It could be a change in face, facial expressions like, hmm, I don't know, what should we have for lunch today? Or they could do something in action like walk over to the fridge or walk over to the cabinet like, I don't know, let's check it out. <laughs> let's see what we have. And so they are demonstrating that they can respond to your questions, again, even without words. And so let's talk about the kind of kids that have difficulty with turn taking. And I already mentioned this at the beginning, but when I wrote Let's Talk About Talking, I wanted it to encompass all kinds of parents, not only the parents of children who just have that expressive piece missing, they are truly just like talkers, but because so many parents think that their children are like talkers when there really are other absent or weaker skills in these other 11 areas, um, that's, that's I, I wanted to just, again, write a piece of work that would really, really help those parents begin to understand those missing pieces. And frankly, I hear from therapists every day that tell me that this has really helped them um, really target what they knew they were supposed to be working on already, like they, they knew the prelinguistic skills were missing, but they just couldn't really articulate it or put into words exactly what they needed to work on with the parents. So therapists have really, really responded to this material too. So let's talk about kind of these diagnostic categories that we know that children will have difficulty learning how to take turns and that we need to be so proactive about that and very intentional about that in helping them learn how to take turns again long before we think about them using a turn taking in conversation so toddlers with cognitive and receptive language issues 
will have difficulty with turn tagging because they don't understand what you've said to them. And so remember we talked about cognition. That means how a child thinks, how he plans, how he remembers. So all of that mental stuff. Sometimes parents think about cognition as like how smart is this kid? But I don't really want you to go there. I want you to really think about, again, in terms of how does he process new information coming in and then how does he use that information when he's, like, he's playing or in a daily routine. And then how does he remember that information later, like the next time it happens, did he remember how to play with his toy? And then how does he plan with that information after that, meaning like, hey, I use this problem-solving strategy with this toy. Will it work over here? Let's say, like, in daily routines, it would be like, I've dropped my passy and I look for it and I find it under my leg. And so the next time he drops his passy, you know, if he's in his car seat, does he immediately start to look there or does he have to kind of start from the beginning? And you see the same process he went through last time. Or does he kind of get straight to, aha, that was my solution. And then anything he drops, he really starts to look for it and generalize that skill. So that's kind of, a, that's, that's kind of an example for cognition that I use with parents. Uh, and so we know when kids have difficulty with cognition or when there are cognitive delays, and again, it's usually because of a neurological difference. So a, a parents already have a diagnosis, they already have a genetic diagnosis, or they already have a diagnosis um, like, like I've already mentioned, like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or some, something that, uh, some other kind of label. <laughs> that the doctor has told them, hey, this is what's going on with your child. And those kids that we know, they're, they're predispositioned for cognitive challenges because of the neurological differences. And so when a kid has those things, his receptive language is just automatically delayed <laughs> because that's, cognition forms the foundation for receptive language or assigning meaning to words. And so kids with those kinds of uh, issues, those established medical conditions, are going to have difficulty with turn taking and so and again this is so evident especially when they begin to talk because sometimes you'll say something to them and you can tell that they don't understand what you're saying they haven't processed the question but they can't really say to you mom could you please repeat that because I'm not quite sure I got it the first time you know they can't ask for clarification sometimes kids can't even do something like huh you know oh you know or something to let you know that they did not understand what you said they just keep going on with what they've done or they walk away but it's before that, it's before that time that we need to get this turn-taking really uh, going and really moving forward and improving. So kids with uh, cognitive and receptive language delays will have difficulty with turn-taking. The second big group here and kind of the really the most common issue is children who have red flags for autism. And so the core skill here of difficulty interaction, interacting with other people leads them to be poor turn takers and so if they are not if they are avoiding interaction with others or tuning it out or just so internally focused with people and we talked about this a lot back in show number two with the response to people then they again aren't going to to have that drive to take turns with you it's this is that natural extension this is that next skill of response to people and so you can see if the bottom skill is missing it's going to be hard to get to that next level so that's why kids with autism have difficulty with that because they don't have that same internal drive to connect with others beyond sometimes beyond getting that immediate need met and so some of these kids are really super at compensating so they may do something like 
lead their parents. And we'll talk about that later. I'm kind of getting my, ahead of myself there. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But again, kids with autism or red flags for autism, when you see some other things going on, expect there to be difficulty with turn taking. And so you're going to really need to uh, listen up and implement some of these skills with those children. And again, other kids who have difficulty with this are kids with sensory processing and regulatory differences. So these would be on either end of the kind of the pendulum swing here. You can have kids that are super, super, super busy. And so they are on the go. And so if I had a kid here with me that was a sensory seeker that was really, really, you know, we used to call them wild. <laughs> just super active kid he would be jumping up here on the on the chair with me and then leaning over and trying to get my squirrel here and mess up the rest of my pretty decorations and come on then go around the back and try to pull the cords that we have here using up for our lighting equipment and want my glasses and try to get a drink of my coke and then try to tear up my book and again it's just kind of a whirlwind those kids aren't good turn takers fine because they can't slow down enough <laughs> to take a turn with you. And so can you see how that's gonna be a problem for language development? And so we really, really have to think about those kinds of kids too. And so we, we also, also have the other end of that extreme where they're not so busy, but they're really, really kind of flat for lack of a better word. And they are checked out a lot of the time. And again, you might look at them and think that they are kind of uh, passive when they are interacting with you. And those kids aren't great turn takers either because they're not revved up enough to be able to, again, do their part in conversation. So we'll talk some about the sensory piece, but just know that those are the three big categories of children who have difficulty with turn taking. So let's move on and talk a little bit again about what it would look like if a kid is taking turns in conversation or is taking turns with you so that you for some kids you know that's going to kind of be your launching point you say well and, and this is the thing that happens with the information in this book and i hear it over and over and over again a parent will give their child credit for they'll look at the list of 11 skills and they'll say well they're doing all that they're still not talking this makes no sense to me but then when i really a therapist starts to work with them and therapists tell me this all the time they'll use the chart that's in the back of let's talk about talking kind of as a starting point for maybe that first session after the assessment and they're looking at what their kids really can and can't do and parents again may have given them credit for a skill that's just emerging or a skill that they've done minimally, like one or two times. Like a parent, you'll ask a parent, does he do gestures? And a kid sort of waved bye-bye two months ago, <laughs> but you haven't had seen it again. And so a parent gives a kid credit for that when he just did one gesture one, one, gesture one time weeks ago, rather than the therapist really means, does he consistently and frequently use gestures? And does he use a variety of gestures? So when you start to really break this information down, parents start to realize, oh, I was giving him too much credit. And again, that's so natural. We are blinded by uh, weaknesses and, and, and differences, especially in our own flesh and blood, especially in our own children. And so it's natural that parents do this. But we have to really, really look at objectively. Is, does a child, uh, has he mastered this skill? Is this skill emerging or is it completely absent? And so these kinds of questions from Let's Talk About Talking will help you be able to do that. So some of the things that I'll ask a parent, does a toddler take his turn during play, during a daily routine, during conversation? And again, what's a turn here? It could be a look, meaning he's just, he, he makes eye contact with you so that you ask him a question and he looks right at you to let you know like, hey, I heard you there. I know that I'm supposed to have some kind of response. I can't say it yet, 
but I'm letting you know <laughs> that I heard what you were saying, and I know that it's directed to me, and I'm going to take that, uh, make that response or do my part here. It could be a facial expression change that a kid raises his eyebrows or, or just somehow changes his little face, maybe squints his eyes or moves his mouth a little bit that lets you know, hey, he's done something. And so let me just, or, or it could be an action. He could move toward you when you're talking or he could reject what you're saying. You could start to feel, you know, a negative response there where he turns his head away or puts his hand out or something like that. So anything like this, it doesn't just have to be a word. So look for a change. So if you're seeing no change in a child, like we talked about last week, you can't really give them credit for that, right? And so we want some kind of response there, even if it's not a word. Um, other kids that are good turn takers, they try to keep your attention by doing something else when you're ready to move on. So with a game like patty cake, I already gave you that example. The kid who's playing patty cake with you, does she reach for your hands when you want to stop? Does she whine? Does she start kind of doing the... Ha, 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 ha. Does she start doing the intonation on her own? Does she start bouncing around? Anything to let you know, hey, keep this going. I like this game. This was fun, and I am not ready for you to stop yet. And uh, this would even be a kid who's good with turn-taking, tries to respond to you even if their attempts are off target. So even if you say to a child something like, what's your name? And she says, two. And why does she do that? Because people ask her all the time, what's your name and how old are you? And she's learned too is a response that she can give that sometimes people are just crazy about. They think it's so funny. And even when she misses it, even when she gives an inaccurate answer, parents and her other people still respond to her. She's learned how to do that. So even when kids are responding inaccurately, we still know that they are learning how to take turns because they're responding at all. And sometimes, or all the time, let me say, when children are playing with other children and they've moved from parallel play to cooperative play, and so you, you watch them maybe in the pool or in like little cousins in the bathtub or something, and one kid will splash and then the other kid will splash and one kid will splash and a kid will laugh and then, the, then he splashes and then the other kid laughs. Or it might not go so pleasant. They might get upset in there, but, you know, they're grimacing and they're mad and they're crying. That's still a response. <laughs> so they still get the turn-taking piece. And this does lead to play. This leads to genuine play with other children, but we see it start at this nonverbal level first. So those are the kinds of things that we want to look for with children. Now remember, why is turn-taking important for language development? Because it's how all of us become interactive and conversational. And again, as I've said for about the tenth time now, until a child can do something nonverbally, He's never going to be able to master that skill verbally. And so we want to see turn-taking start way back here with this nonverbal level. And so when children do first begin to take turns, much of what they say or do is in imitation of you. And again, that's so important. We talked about that with skill number nine, with developing the ability to imitate. And again, at this action level, or this nonverbal level always comes before the verbal piece. And so that's that's what we want to do. With turn-taking, it's so important, too, that children learn how to become connected communicators. So, again, they keep that communication going. And this is important that they are not just 
using rote language or echolalia. Now let's talk about echolalia for a minute. What is echolalia? It's when a kid echoes or says something that he's lifted or heard in a previous conversation. And it may be that he's repeating a conversation that he's heard you have with him. He says the same kind of little lines that you say. It could be a book. It could be a dialogue or paragraph from his favorite show or a movie and when this happens kids really are using that language it's self-directed they're not really using that language communicatively and again that's not to say that we can't use it like that or that or that there's not some underlying purpose but a lot of times the purpose is that sounded good to them and that feels good to them and they already know how to talk they just don't know how to communicate and so that's where this turn-taking piece comes in so for kids who are on the spectrum or who will get diagnosed with that and for whom echolalia is how they primarily talk or verbalize right now, turn-taking is the skill that you need to work on with them because again, they need to realize even before they're able to do this in conversation and even before they're able to really use the, all that great language that they've acquired, functionally, they've got to get this turn-taking piece first. So that, when a kid is echolalic like that, it really makes the conversation one-sided. And so you, you are, again, we're so happy that they're talking and talking. I mean, that is the silver lining for echolalia. The kids are talking already. But it, it, it feels disjointed because kids aren't able to participate and use it like that, use their, use their words. And so that's certainly something that lets us know that um, we don't want parents doing all the heavy lifting with children. We don't want them communicatively. We don't want them always having to interpret and always having to anticipate what a child wants. We do that for newborns and throughout the baby's first year, but that's one of the reasons that children require language. And this is one of the, the reasons that we are hardwired to communicate because we, again, use that, this turn-taking as the foundation for learning that reciprocity and that back-and-forth piece. All right, so when is a child, when is a toddler developmentally ready to work on turn-taking? Well, we've already talked about this in the continuum of these 11 skills. When he responds, when he, when he responds to you, he's got to respond to you first, and so that's back at skill number two. But once he begins to consistently respond, we do want to see turn-taking emerge. And actually, sometimes it does, even without a lot of other intervention. You get the social games going and the other strategies that we talked about in last show, and then turn-taking is that natural next step. It's that natural next step that we're going to see. So let's start to talk about the very best strategies for helping a toddler learn to take turns. And remember, if you're a parent, these are things that you're going to want to do with your own child. These are the things that I'm saying to you today <laughs> that you can start doing. So take yourself some notes. And again, even if you're a parent and you think, gosh, I'd really like the written version of this show, you have two options. You can buy the continuing education credit that's available on my website at teachmetotalk.com for just five dollars for an entire hour of uh, ce credit which is pertinent for therapists but for parents you get the nice pdf handout for this you can get that there or uh take a look at let's talk about talking my therapy manual and so this information is uh pulled uh, from that book and again these aren't just my ideas <laughs> these are researched and evidence-based practice but this is where we start so for a parent these are the things that you need to be doing to help turn taking uh, emerge or strengthen in your own child and if you're a therapist these are the kinds of strategies that you teach a family so if you are coaching and you're maybe working for an agency or yourself who 
works with your state early intervention program and you're doing coaching in the consultative model and so you're walking into a family's home and you're taking what their routines already are and they're playing what they're already doing when a kid isn't taking turns this is what you focus on so these are the strategies that you share with parents and again these are things that SLPs or speech language pathologists like me know but sometimes we don't always share it like we should or we don't prioritize it like we should early in a child's comprehensive treatment plan and so we may have wasted a lot of time working on teaching words when a child you know, is missing five or six of these pre-linguistic skills and a lot of times it is something as as it, when we get these skills in place and when we actually start to share these strategies and implement these strategies and help families get really comfortable with these things then things start to fall into place and then kids again that whole momentum builds and they start to be able to use words again with with focus on that so i mean we're speech therapists we're going to teach kids how to talk right but not nearly the focus as it would have been and it's a lot easier because we've addressed these underlying skills so if you're a therapist these are the strategies that you need to write on that ifsp and that you more importantly you need to be sharing with parents in your one-on-one uh, -on -one focuses now if you are in the position like i'm in where i'm in private practice and i work with kids directly so say you're in a clinic or um, a school setting where your intervention is directly with the child, these are the things that you need to be doing. And again, if you're in a school system or uh, say you work with a child at a daycare setting, these are the same strategies you need to be talking about with caregivers. And some of these are so, again, so simple that you think, no way am I gonna start here because they certainly already know that. Guys, knowing and doing are two very different things. <laughs> and so if you have a child who is struggling with turn taking, don't dismiss starting with some of these really foundational pieces because somewhere that's not working right. And so even if a parent or a caregiver is giving lip service to all these things, if the kid's still not doing it, you know there's something missing. So it could be a consistency problem. It could be the parents think they're doing it, but they're, we need to tweak it a little bit and help them a little bit. And so uh, you want to be sure that you are addressing that. So number one way to make sure that a child is becomes a proficient turn taker is have fun have fun yourself when you are interacting with that child make yourself the most fun most loving most warm communicative partner you could be and we talked about that a lot back in the last show with responding to people we want to give a child a toddler with language delays a reason to stay with us we want to do everything we can to make them start to behave differently and so it's so much easier to change the things that we do first before we start to do things that uh, will directly uh, impact a child's uh, response and so again it's it's easier to change us so the number one thing you need to do is make yourself as fun as that inviting as possible and we talked about this last week with eye contact with when you give a child something fun to look at and something fun to listen to he's much more likely to respond to you so that was number one the next thing that we need to do is really really learn how to wait expectantly so what does that mean that means that you are going to set up turn taking turn taking opportunities by waiting and expecting a child to take his turn. So if we were sitting here with something like blocks right in front of us and I had the blocks here and we had maybe maybe we've stacked up the blocks we've made a little tower already and I want the child's turn to be let's say we don't have any more blocks what, what would it naturally his next turn be what would you expect a toddler to want to do with a stack of blocks 
knock them down, right? But what if he's not doing that? What can you do? Well, you can set the stage. You can wait expectantly. So a lot of times that's your body language. So you're leaning forward and you might make your eyes a little bit wider. You know, I kind of have crazy eyes when I do that. <laughs> but, you know, something that lets a child know, hey, it's your turn. I gasp a little bit. I do the whole, <gasps> you know, that kind of expectant thing. And, I mean, this works like a charm. And, again, it could be at this nonverbal level. A lot of times that's a strategy that we use for new talkers. For when that we know that they can imitate a word, but we're waiting on to get that word spontaneously, and so that expectant waiting is something that we'll do, and so really, really master master that. And this piggybacks into the next um, strategy with treat a child's actions as if they were purposeful. So here you're going to act as if you know your child is going to do something. That's the wait expectantly part for where we're. <gasps> And then the next thing, with whatever he does, you treat it like it's purposeful, even if it's not. And again, Dr. Greenspan, in his circles, uh, his communicative circles, he whatever the kid does, that's his response. And so if you offer a kid a cookie and he doesn't take the cookie, let's say you say you want a cookie and you get nothing. There's nothing there. No change in facial expression. No active refusal with his little body language there or a gesture nothing like that you get nothing if he has done nothing i would go ahead then and assume that he doesn't want it so then you say oh no no cookie you don't want a cookie you're not taking the cookie no cookie and so again you treat his actions as if they're purposeful and you try to assign meaning with that and when we do treat actions like that as they are intentional over time they do become more intentional not immediately we have to give some kids some time to practice with this but you know again start to really really read what your child does and then respond appropriately now parents we do this all the time because we have had to anticipate what our newborns and our babies what that whole year or so that whole 18 months or so and again some parents are still doing it at three and four because their children are not communicating yet but you want to again assign meaning there where you are taking what a kid is doing and then not making a giant leap where when you say do you want a cookie and he does nothing you say of course you want a cookie he didn't do anything to let you know that so make sure that it makes sense but assign that meaning there and uh, start to really think about uh, what he's doing and help him learn how to become more purposeful like that so the next strategy here we are strategy number four is set up simple opportunities for turn taking with trading objects now this is something that i think is an slp I didn't really know about this. I didn't, I mean, this is something that I had to, that I would read about and go, oh, that is a fabulous idea. <laughs> Why didn't somebody teach me this in grad school? But we really want to get a late talker or a toddler with language delays or language disorder really, again, in that nonverbal turn taking. And don't expect very much at the beginning. So for a kid who has habitually left people out or habitual, habitual non-responder, you're going to take a lot of kind of practice to get them to this point, but these are really good strategies that work. And again, it may not be a methodology that you've used before as a therapist. So one of the best activities that we can do to encourage a child to begin to take turns is for him to take an object from us that we're holding, hold it and use it himself, and then give it back to us so that we can take a turn. Now, does that happen? Like I just said, does that happen immediately for a kid who's kind of a hoarder or who doesn't really understand that 
communicating as a two-way street and there's no back and forth going no you've got to kind of lead him up to this so to begin this process when you have something that he wants don't immediately place it in his hand you want him to reach out and get it so let's use my glasses not that I would give a kid my glasses <laughs> but let's say if he wanted my glasses and if I were brave enough to let him hold them I would put them right here, but if his hand is out, I'm not going to put him right in his hand. I'm going to make him do something for that and make him take his turn by reaching out to get the glasses himself and then do whatever he wants to get from the with the glasses and then get them back. I mean, that's true turn-taking. But again, we have to start about with this at the beginning with just those simple things. And once he has the object and he's using that there, you know, we have to be able to, again, eventually get it back so that when he's doing something let's say he's got an object that you that you could take a little turn with you start you don't always start that because a lot of times the children they're so possessive with their toys and they get so upset if you think you're going to take that they're going you are going to take something away from them and they're not going to get it back and so you can't really do that but you can just begin to kind of ask for a turn just by putting your hand out and letting a child give you an object and then what do you do at the beginning you don't even take a turn with it you give it right back so that he knows hey I'm gonna get a turn with this and a lot of therapists I had a therapist on the show oh gosh probably two years ago now or a year and a half ago that she started talking about how important this was with a little girl who was pretty non-responsive to her and she said she just started trading things with her in the session like even you know if she were getting her bag out and had a receipt laying in there she would just hand the little girl the receipt and the little girl would fiddle with it a minute and then the therapist would hold her hand out and the child would give her the receipt back and you might have to do some things like some hand over hand assistance where you take that you have your hand out to receive the object and you take the child's other hand and you put it in your hand and again if a child is going to have a meltdown with this don't do it you don't want to sacrifice and he's not learning anything then other than this lady is mean and I don't like her and she's taking everything away from me and then you just fight a battle that you didn't even need to have but you can just take the child's hand put it in your hand and say thank you and then give it right back so he learns you get a turn I get a turn you get a turn I get a turn and eventually we're going to extend that so that you take a toy that now a toy you want to use a toy that he likes but that he's not obsessed with. And so if he has a toy that he is just, you know, nuts about, he probably is not going to want you to use it. So don't do it with that. Do it with something else. Though. So, and maybe even a, an object from a daily routine that's a little less um, upsetting to him. So let's say that he's holding his fork or his spoon when he's eating and, and let it be later in the meal where he's not starving and he thinks that you're not going to let him eat. But, you know, just hold out your hand and see if he'll give you the spoon. And then, again, what, what might you do with it? You might do a little routine like you're pretending you're going to eat. Oh, it's so yummy here. And you give it right back so that he learns. And then let him do something else with it. And then, again, hold out your hand. Look real fun and real inquisitive like, oh, are you going to give me that again? And you may not even say, can I have your spoon? Because for some kids... The language part kind of stops it, so don't over-talk here. You know, hold your hand out and see, you know, again, you might have to do that little bit of assistance where you're helping him give it to you, but repeat your little routine. But lots of times, kids are going to give it to you anyway because they want to see you do it, or they're going to hold the spoon up to your mouth. You don't get to hold the spoon, but who cares? They've taken a turn. They wanted you to do a part of that. They want to hear you go, and, you know, see you act silly and do your little animated routine, or, you know, you might do something like, oh, yuck, 
you know, that they really don't expect. And so you can get turn taking going that way too. So that really quick trading turns. And so if a kid, let's do, let's say, let's say that a child is sitting and he's playing with a set of cars and you have done everything you can. You've already tried to take a car and you know, if he, you, you're matching what he's doing, which is important. Let's just kind of talk about it this way, and then we'll talk about the idea, if I can remember, <laughs> talk about the idea that I wanted to mention. So let's talk about matching. Let's say you're going to imitate whatever he's done, and then you're going to match the length of your turn. So if, or, or shorter, you always want to go shorter than a child, never longer. Why? Because you're going to lose him. He's going to walk away from you. He's no longer going to be interested or he's going to be mad that you're taking too long with his toy. And so if he's rolled the car, you take the car and roll the car too, but you keep it really short. And you want to get that reciprocal imitation going, which means he does something, you do something. He does something, you do something. And you are copying him because eventually you want him to copy you, but you're not there yet. You've got to start where he is, meet him where he is. So this matching concept is really, really important. You keep your turn quick, and you keep it a lot shorter than him. And let's say that you've tried to do that, and let's say you've tried to really increase his attention. You've tried to crash your car into his, and you've, you know, you've used your play sounds, you know, beep, beep, and, you know, pow, and all those little fun things that we do, which if you're a parent, you're not doing that, you know, sound more like a kid and less like an adult. Use those play sounds. But let's say you've tried all that. And he's still not responding. He's still not, he's still not including you. And actually, he may be getting a little bit upset because or a little irritated <laughs> because you are persistent, which you should be doing. But what can you do? Get the cars, and then you just be the giver of the cars. And you may not be able to do it that day. That may make him so mad. But the next time he's ready to play cars, you hold all the cars. Now, this may help for you to put them in a box, or I use Ziploc bags all the time. Put them in a bag or do or hold, you know, hold them in your lap. But do everything you can not to make him request. We're not working on that yet. Not to make him sign or anything like that. Not to make him use a word. But just to simply take the car from you. And so you hold out the car. Again, you're not going to put it in his hand yet. You're going to hold out the car and let him reach and get it. And then if he does, starts to do something else, and when you feel like there's kind of a, a, a spot for you, and don't let it go on 15 minutes. I mean, do it within the next 30 seconds or, go, or so. Ha get another car and see if he'll take it again, and you keep that going. And then after you've done that a while, reverse the role where he's holding a car, you hold out your hand again to see if he'll give it to you. And at this point, you might take that quick little turn like we talked about with matching, but always give it right back because that's the point here. We want to keep these turns going. Gradually work on taking longer turns and new turns, but again, don't do it too soon. Don't wait forever. You know, a year, don't start thinking, okay, I'm going to wait. You know, in six months, I'll start taking a longer turn. You're not going to do that. But it might not happen for a few weeks if you're a parent or several sessions if you're a therapist where you gradually work take, toward taking those longer turns and new turns so that if he's done something with a motorcycle, <laughs> you're playing motorcycles, you maybe add the hand motion where maybe you've, he's playing with a motorcycle and you've done, rum, rum, rum. well, this time you're going to add, well, let me, you know, do the gesture here, rum, rum, rum. or uh, with a motorcycle, you might do something like, um, you know, cover your ears like, oh, I'm so loud, you know, after you do that. Just any little thing that helps you uh, take that next turn 
And thank you so much for that example. All right. So next, what are we going to do? Make yourself a required part of the game. So games with or toys with pieces are great for this. And we've already sort of talked about this with the car example. But it could be something like a ring stacker or a ball toy, ball in the whole toy where there are several kinds of balls or a shape sorter or even puzzles. You're the giver of the next thing. So whatever it is that they like to do you are ready with that next piece and you are giving them um, the next piece and again they have to include you and you're not doing the requesting you're not you're not making them talk you're not doing anything like that other than take their turn from you so that's how you get that going now let me just say if a child's motor skills aren't great and his play skills aren't great this may be a strategy that you have to save so if you're trying to do a puzzle and he doesn't really like puzzles he's not going to take turns with you because he wants to avoid so use it with something he likes and use it with something he's fairly proficient with so that you don't lose him in that activity because it's too hard another thing that you want to do is go fast when you get this turn taking kind of going now i don't mean at the beginning where a kid you overstimulate him because you're like give me that you don't want to do that but you do want to get it so that he understands that taking turns is a part of the game you want him to learn you do i do you do i do you do i do and so sometimes this can uh, be really really fun with a movement component so you're going to want to really I'll give you some ideas for that in just a second when we get to the specific activities uh, we've already talked about asking for your own turn so that when you're a therapist or a parent and you're getting the object back but this is a little this is another extension of this so let's say you're doing a little game like tickling and so you've been tickling his stomach like the game is you say you want to tickle you want to tickle and he raises his shirt and you tickle his tummy and then uh put his shirt back down you do it so as a parent you know you lift up your shirt and say oh you're gonna tickle mommy or you're gonna get mommy and as a therapist that might be too weird for you you might not do the raising your shirt part but you get my point here where you are the recipient where the child does that to you and so this is we see this all the time we talked about it a second ago like with the feeding example it might be with taking a drink you know so many little friends of mine shove their have shoved their sippy cups in my mouth <laughs> because they want me we've done a lot of these little turn-taking games and that's a natural extension of that so while the kid is drinking uh, uh, again you may do something fun like we just talked about with the spoon where you're going to say oh can i have a drink <laughs> And again, keep it short, keep it silly, but that's your turn. Chances are, what's he going to do? He's going to put it up to your mouth again because he wants to see you do that. That was fun. He he liked it. Eventually, what he might might what might he do? He might start the after he drinks too, or he's really pausing and looking at you like, "Are you going to do it? Are you going to say it?" And he's totally engaged with you. So those are all things that let you know that turn taking really is moving along. Another thing you can do here. It's create a problem to be solved. So let's say a kid likes to open all the cabinets in the kitchen, and you know that, and you guys have had a little routine where the routine has been that you close the doors or that he opens and you close whatever you've done. Do the opposite. So you might beat him into the kitchen and get all the doors open so that he can go along and close the doors for his turn. And again, this would kind of be early on. Or you might do it where he closes the door and then you open it again. And he closes the door and then you open it again. And again, those are those kinds of things that you want to be so playful about. And you want to be so fun with so that he gets that this is, this is what he wants to do. That he likes interacting with you like this. Another thing that you can do is really, like I said, playfully but momentarily in 
obstruct her ability to do what she wants to do just so that she has a way to include you and to take a turn. So if she's trying to get around you to go to something, you might have your hands out where she's got to look at you or touch you or do some do a uh to get by you. And for a kid who's not been a turn taker, that's a turn. And a, uh, Dr. Greenspan's work is so great with his circles of communication. So take a look at that too. Uh, with his uh, all the all the great information you can get from floor time with how to playfully ex instruct so remember you're the big thing here that you need to do is wait for a child's reactions and as soon as he does something anything to communicate with you you respond to that so that you are keeping your part of turn taking going one more example we use this a lot with kids who are pretty obsessive about things. So if they are, if they like to line something up or to spin things, I mean, I know I'm going to mortify you when I say this, but go ahead and, and be the person that helps them do that. You know, give them the things. We talked about it with the card game. So if they like to line up trains, my goodness, just sit there and be the person that hands them the train and hands them the train and hands them the train. And you'll get to the point that you can maybe roll one of the trains or crash one of the trains or do something more functional with one of the trains. But in the beginning, when you're trying to get turn-taking going, that may be your best bet to really insert yourself into that game. Don't forget to stay together because to maximize a child's ability to respond to you, number one, like we talked about last week, and then begin to take turns is he's got to be with you first. And so if you have a child who self-isolates, who prefers to be in the other room by himself, or if you have somehow gotten yourself into a situation where your child just spends a lot of the day alone, you've got to change that pattern. And therapists, this is hard to talk to parents about because you feel like you are scolding them <laughs> for whatever choices they've made or... You know, who cares about all that? Just get past it and say to a parent, look, you're going to have to have your child who's having difficulty with social interaction and engagement be with you. And so when you are in a room, if you are in the bedroom making up the bed, put him in there with you. If he tries to leave immediately, close the door. Keep him in there with you so that you're talking to him and so that he learns how to respond to you. And go back and listen to last week's show for that. But other things that you want to do, again, take turns. So, you know, you're pulling up the sheet on the bed. See if he can reach up and kind of help you straighten the sides there. Do anything like that, but keep him with you. If you're moving to the kitchen, open the door and get him to go to the kitchen. If he leaves the kitchen, what do you do? You go get him and bring him back. So don't let him check out and don't let him be by himself for long periods of time. He's never going to learn how to communicate that way. And so that's, that's a big recommendation that we have to make. And be sure that you are doing, again, everything that you can to keep interactions going throughout the day. So when you need to do something for your child, like a caregiving activity. Don't be so so fast to move on. Don't don't be so just quick to give up these opportunities to take turns. I've already given you great examples about, um, like if you're, he's eating and you're doing the little pretending like you're eating or drinking, but even like if you're changing their diaper, you can give them a baby wipe to hold while you're doing that and then get, take it back from them. And then you stop to play a little game, you know, play this little picking and count their toes or a little tickle game or something where you're keeping that interaction going. So don't be in such a rush to kind of get through those activities where you're missing that point with turn taking. All right, so now I want to give you some really specific activities. And remember, these are from Let's Talk About Talking, my therapy manual here. And so we already talked about uh, helping a child. One of the first things that you might want to do is like a, a 
block activity where you stack it up and knock it down and that's such a fun thing to do and for kids again most kids already know how to do this but for our little friends who are on the spectrum and who are pretty significantly impaired even something like this is a big way to get interaction going so that might be something uh, that you do anything you're going to do to entice him to stay with you another thing that I like to do a lot is a little throwing game and so even if I don't have you know, I just improvise. So we might use something like a laundry basket or a box or whatever a family just has kind of laying around, a, a pan. And then we might take something like balls. Or it can even be something like um, plastic people or it can be socks, <laughs> laundry mom has laying out. So a little throwing game where you put the basket on the other side of the room and you were with the child and your, your whole thing is you say, oh my goodness, we're going to throw. Are you ready? Watch. And so you take whatever material it is and you run across the room and you throw it in the basket and then you run back to him. And again, you have got to act like you are having the time of your life and he's got to take a turn. So what does he do? You put the object in his hand and you say, look, go, go. You do it. Throw, throw, throw. And if he won't do it, what do you do? If he doesn't act interested, help him. You know, we do our tell him, show him, help him model. Take his little hand run him over there yourself and again keep it fun don't drag him but get over there yourself and say you know you know oh run 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 go 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 and then throw and so throw your object in your container and then celebrate yeah you did it and then run back and get the next item and so even those little kinds of games and you may not do it where he runs across the room he may not be a busy kid who needs that kind of movement you might just do it with something right in front of you where there's a bucket and you take blocks and you're just throwing throwing in there and you give him a block and see if he'll throw in there too. Those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. Run and dump things are really good so that you know you're moving one uh, you know you might you might have a pile of shoes on one side of the room and then you're gonna you know take the shoes to the of where they belong and then run back and get another shoe and take it back and again what are we teaching a kid here not to clean the house <laughs> but we're teaching them how to do their uh, turn-taking uh, things their turn-taking routines here and so even a little game like honking noses where you reach out and touch kids nose and say honk honk and then what do you want after you've done it several times or, you know, with his belly button, ding dong. What do you want him to do? You want him leaning his little nose out or his little belly out to get you to do that. And then you take a turn with that too, where you put your nose out and see if he'll honk your nose or your belly, he'll tickle you. So those kinds of things. You can try other body parts too. Pat an arm, tap, um, tap a knee, squeeze a leg. But I like this kind of game. You can do tickles too, but... This is pretty novel. Kids like the ding-dong on their belly buttons or, you know, touching your nose and you say honk-honk or when you touch their nose. So try those kinds of things too. All right. Uh, one big problem that kids have with turn-taking is that they are pretty fixated on their own special object, so a highly preferred object. And we are out of time with this course. But stay tuned for an upcoming Therapy Tip of the Week where I teach you a game that I call Switcheroo, and it's helping toddlers move on from obsessive items. And that's such an important part of helping a child learn how to take turns. So look for that Therapy Tip of the Week. All right, that's all for today. Remember, all of this information you can find uh, in Let's Talk About Talking at my website, teachmetotalk.com. And if you are a therapist and want to get continuing education credit for this class, you can get one hour credit 
credit for only five bucks. You can find out information about that from the link in the post below if you're watching here on YouTube or if you're listening on iTunes. It's teachmetotalk.com and you'll see my picture right there and go down to where it says um, watch video or, or view all ASHA CEUs. And so click on that. And remember what I said to you about parents. If you want the handout version of this, it's a cute little PDF. And, uh, it's, and these are great for therapists to share with families. This little handout says you're talking about this and working with the family. But they're great for parents to get to. And lots of parents have emailed me and said how helpful those things are. So you can just go ahead and register for credit so that you have access. Even if you don't need that credit, you have access to that handout. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you've just watched or listened to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Thank <laughs> you.